HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tending to You. Tending to You provides mobile bartenders and waitstaff for private events in Louisiana and the greater Houston area. Learn more at tendingtoyou.com. That's tending, the number two, and the letter u.com. This week on Meet and 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade. From the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market. You know, farmers are, are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line. You find it in a lot of cured foods like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, you also find it in ripening foods like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. There has perhaps never been a more important time than now to be involved in your community, the place you live, the people you work with, the guests that patronize your business. Community can be a catalyst for your business. It can also be a lifeline. The restaurant community has grown immensely over the past 20 years. I have vivid memories as a young cook of competitive atmospheres both within restaurants and with other restaurants, both in New Orleans and here in New York City. For the better, those mindsets are mostly outdated, part of an era that launched today's positive change in hospitality. In its place now exists, for the lack of another term, the buzzy but apt collaboration. No, we don't just mean quirky food combos. Rather, legitimate teamwork within and amongst the greater hospitality community. In the case of today's guest, he may not be here if it weren't for such openness, sharing, and the partner approach to cooking that exists today. Our guest today is Eric C. He's a Brooklyn-based pastry chef and the founder of the short-lived but very well-received The Awkward Scone Cafe in Bushwick. C opened Ursula, a New Mexican-inspired cafe and bakery, and an homage to his grandmother and New Mexican upbringing in Crown Heights in September 2020. Diners quickly began lining up to get their hands on a chili-laced breakfast burrito. Alex and I and our two young daughters were actually included in that line, um, and it didn't take long for the press to take notice either. Eric was named a rising star by Star Chefs and received glowing write-ups by both Eater and Grub Street. Um, we're so happy to have you here, Eric. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Alex. I'm happy to be here. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. So tell us a little bit, you know, 
I, when I was like looking at your bio and, and doing like a little due diligence before this episode, what struck me is that you closed the awkward scone in June and then opened Ursula in September. So that's just three months, which is very fast. Can you talk to us a little bit about the journey? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time for the whole journey. <laughs> Cliff notes version. But, yeah. Uh, well, so I had to close the awkward scone in June, uh, as you stated, and I have been um, in the kitchen in New York for the last 10 years. So I have no savings, no backup. So I I work in a kitchen to, to support myself. Um, and so I lost my lifeline by losing the cafe. And it kind of brought a lot of stuff to the forefront. Do I want to keep hustling in New York? Um, do I want to keep working this hard? Uh, or do I go back to New Mexico and take it easy for a little bit? Uh, so I, I was considering a lot of a lot of that stuff. And in the middle of a pandemic, um, I got to see that we weren't alone in New York dealing with all of this. Um, and we had it, we kind of had it the hardest when we first started here in New York with all the restrictions. And I was talking to people outside of the New York City bubble and they, people were having a hard time believing that uh, the severity of the pandemic was real because they weren't taking the restrictions as uh, seriously elsewhere. Um, they were in New Mexico though. Uh, I took a little road trip with my dog very safely staying in national campgrounds in a tent all the way through kind of staying away from the cities uh, to go see my family. And even in New Mexico, they were not doing indoor dining. There were no jobs available. All my friends were unemployed. And so it was like, oh, damn, well, I can't, I can't escape unemployment. That's going to be everywhere. Uh, so when I got back to Brooklyn, they had just really kicked off the outdoor street dining. Um, the like the big parts of the BLM protests had kind of started to wind down. Um, but there was still a lot of energy in New York City and in Brooklyn especially. And that was really booing to come back from driving across the country and everything just being kind of sleepy. And to come back and after all that we had been through here in New York, like people were still trying to live their lives as safely and as joyously as possible. So I was like, all right. I think I can stick stick it out in Brooklyn for a little bit longer. I also had just gotten a really incredible uh, apartment on the back of somebody else's trauma. My friend Holly had to close her catering company here in Brooklyn or put it on pause while she moved upstate and had to give up her apartment. And it has a backyard and a washer and dryer. And I've never had an apartment this big in Brooklyn. So I was like, I owe it to myself to live here for <laughs> at least a year. So it was the apartment that kept you here, not the... Uh... It was it was a lot of things, but that was part of it. I remember when I was um, like 23, 22 or 23, I was working at a hotel and I, I quit and the general manager didn't want me to quit. And he uh, he was like, well, what if we give you like this department head position to run the gift shop? And I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> he was like, well, it'll be a pay raise. You'll be a department head and just try it out for a year. And I was like, all right, I'll give you a year. So I feel like that's my... That's my uh, boundary is a year. So I took the lease uh, for this apartment and I was like, let's let's see what we can do. So then tell us a little bit about the space um, that you got that where is currently housing Ursula and how that all came to be. 
Yeah. So I was, while I was on my road trip, I was also in the midst of like negotiating a new space to house the reincarnation of the awkward scone kind of as it was. Um, but I just, I didn't have the, I didn't have enough, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I wasn't, I didn't believe that I was going to be able to weather the storm, uh, by investing a bunch of money into this space. And the one I was looking at a place in Clinton Hill and it was about five or $6,000 a month, just as the base rent. And I was going to have to dump about $50,000 in between the deposit and equipment needs to get it ready. And the landlord was like 80 years old and didn't use email and everything was taking forever. Um, and I feel like that was on, there was something in the stars that were preventing me from signing that lease. Uh, I didn't feel confident about it. I didn't feel good about it, but I didn't feel like I had any other options. And when I got back to Brooklyn, I had done a couple uh, pop-ups at Hunky Dory um, to kind of test the waters with this concept of more strictly New Mexican food. Because I had only done breakfast burritos at the Awkward Scone. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't really a New Mexican-inspired space. Um, but Claire had this space that she, uh, was not using because she wanted to use it for a wine bar and then COVID happened. And, uh, we talked about me using it for the next year to test out Ursula. Um, and it was just like all the pieces just fell together and the pandemic unemployment insurance was about to run out and I was going to be without any kind of financial security. So I was like, well, I'm going to open this. And we took six weeks to turn it around. And within the the moment of me and Claire deciding that I was going to open up Ursula there and September 30th, it was six weeks of just nonstop work um, and conceiving a menu, rehiring most of my staff from the Awkward Scone, finding a couple of new folks. Uh, and yeah, and then we were just up and running. So did you, so, so basically Claire was like, I have this space and you signed like a sublease agreement sort of with her for one year. Yeah, it's still, it's her space. Um, I can't get into like too many of the technicalities of it, but yes, um, I'm me and Claire working together on, on this space as I operate Ursula. Perfect. And then, um, and what did you have to do to this space? Like you mentioned the investment and the other space wasn't really financially feasible. So Tell us a little bit about the conditions because I know it wasn't current. The space wasn't actually currently in operation. No, it had been a pretzel shop like six years prior and nothing had been in there for six years. So the basement was in disarray, Uh, like the ceiling was falling out. Um, But the big thing about this space was that it was already vented. It had hood, a hood system and it had a, a six burner range. And that was... That's, as most people know in restaurants, that's one of the major kitchen investments um, is that hood system. And uh, aside from that, I just kind of had to populate it with tables. And I had a bunch of equipment from the Awkward Scone. Uh, I had a mixer. I had a bunch of tables. Um, And aside from that, it was just kind of building this faux wall. Oh, it already had a walk-in too. So um, I brought in some of the smaller equipment and brought in a contractor to build a wall to build out the counter. And aside from just like cleaning out the basement to make it a workable space and decorating it, it was pretty minimal. I mean, there's a lot of band-aids on there. (laughs) I definitely need to go back. I'm learning, I'm learning a lot about where I should have 
spent a little more time. Tell us a little bit about those band-aids. I mean, because I think those are the things, right? It's like, you know, you sort of put stuff together and you go with it. Um, but then you're like, oh, shit. You know, so are, have there been any band-aids or you're like, oh, my God, it would have saved us money if we would have done this in the first place. Or you're just sort of like figuring it out day by day. A little, a little of everything. And yeah. there's some of it that's like aesthetics. The, I, didn't, I didn't redo the floor in there. And it's this really old tile. And I, every day that I walk in, it's grating to me. <laughs> I, that tile. I can't. It, it's slippery. It's ugly. It's, yeah, that, it'll go. It'll go. If things are working out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close for a little while and try and fix that. But uh, there's a lot of patchwork that was done. This building is super old and like the floor in the basement, um, the concrete is just so old and brittle. And I put a really thin layer of epoxy down there. Um, and I really should have just redone the floor entirely because the epoxy broke off and there's pieces of the floor that are crumbling. Uh, the perimeter around the building has not properly been sealed. So every single time that it rains hard or snows, it leaks into the basement. I have to go put out a tarp over the hatch and in front of the cafe every single time to prepare for the snow. Wait, and those are things that the landlord's not going to, wouldn't help with? Um, it's, it's a matter of getting the landlord to actually do it. Right. Um, and yeah, some of this stuff is building maintenance that falls under their responsibility, but that's also convincing the landlord of that. <laughs> um, and then there was just other stuff that we didn't look deep enough into uh, in terms of the way the building was set up. There was um, the steam pipe for the boiler for the residential above us goes through the basement and through the kitchen. And there um, was a leak in one of the pipes and what we had like painted and covered up in the basement one day when it was cold and the boiler was up, it burst out the wall and it was just steaming from the pipe all night. So I walked up and opened the hatch and it was like a sauna had just been opened up and the ceiling was covered with water and condensation. It was like way too hot to work down there and we had to have that fixed up. The There was a clog in the um, basement drain for the for the whole building, not just Ursula, but Ursula felt the effects of it because it flooded the basement um, for about ten hours, and I was just va- shot vacuuming water for ten hours. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, this is like the unsexy stuff that is like real deal, true entrepreneurship things that that happen to all of us, where you're like. Have you rethought that choice about diving back into the hustle very many times? Yeah. Uh, I actually, right before this, my baker is there right now, and she just texted me that the mixer, the 20-quart Hobart, isn't working. Oh, <laughs> I was my like, God. oh, my God. I just want to, like, curl up. I know. It's like some days you just want to curl up and cry, and then you see a line of people waiting to eat your delicious burritos, and you're like, it's okay. It's worth it. Oh, my God. If they knew what was going on uh, behind the scenes all the time uh, – there was there was one day too because I have to. There's some other investments I need to make. I need to upgrade the electrical there. I thought it was enough, but the moment we turn on the heater, uh, it just blows the whole circuit for the whole place. Um, and one day we did that. The electricity went out, um, and it was raining really hard, so it was leaking into the basement. I was trying to deal with the leak. I was. Tr- this was the first time the electricity went out, and I didn't know where our main breaker was, and I was panicked. Somebody came up to the door and I was like, I'm sorry, ma'am, we're going to be closed um, 
for a little while. Uh, we're out, the electricity's out and I've got a leak. Um, and she's like, oh, well, how long is it going to be? <laughs> I like, oh my god um i i She's like i, I need don't a know now <laughs> well you know your way around a circuit breaker Come yeah here and i mean give me a hand i was like i'm still trying to figure it out myself so i can't be certain how long it's gonna be and she was like of course the one time i actually get out here to get a burrito and i can't even get one sorry to disappoint <laughs> you i am sorry to disappoint you but um, the gas was still running so i actually i was like just you guys will you make her burrito we can still run her card uh <laughs> Because the iPad's charged. So we did. And then she was like, well, actually, I want two. <laughs> oh, my like, God. Oh, my God. I hope she left you a five-star review on Yelp. Yeah. I don't think so. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, so it's with all of these things that are happening now, now you guys are busy, are you kicking off enough cash to go back and do some of these reinvestments? Yes. Yes and no. So there's, God, there's so many things that you have to invest in right now. Um. I would love to cover some of the seating outside um, or upgrade the electric so that I can put electric heaters outside. But then that takes away from the cash flow, cash stash that could then go to the staff or other improvements or expansion. So I'm trying to figure out like where to reinvest that money um, into the business. I mean, it's constantly going back into the business with new piece of equipment, new tools, whatever. Um, with this outdoor heating situation and dining, we're using propane right now and I only have two heaters, but that's a hundred dollars a day for me to use these two heaters. And if I had them near all the tables, I'd be spending $300 a day. Yeah. Which is not nothing, obviously. And my whole goal of trying this concept out that was more casual and takeout and delivery friendly was to kind of minimize some of the labor needs so that I could invest more of the money into my actual staff right. um, and pay higher wages. So every time that I take away money from that opportunity, I have to reconsider that. So tell us a little, tell us a little bit about that. What, is, what does that mean? Like how, how are you doing things differently with your, your team here? Well, we've got a really small tight knit crew. I'm still working uh, in every position. Sometimes I'm the barista. I wash dishes every day. I'm, sometimes I'm on the line. Uh, but in order to make sure that everyone can get the hours that they need, we keep it tight. Um, I started everybody in the kitchen at a, at a few dollars higher than the minimum wage. Um, the baristas as well were higher than the tipped minimum wage here in New York because I wanted them all to have a base, uh, a base starting wage that was respectful for one um, and made them feel comfortable and, and respected at the space. Um, it's still, we're never going to be able to pay people what they're worth in New York if we're having to pay all the money back to our landlords and utilities. Um, but I feel like this is a, a good start um, or the best that I can do for them. And then I've, I gave them a bonus uh, in, at Christmas, um, when I saw that we had made enough money that I could redistribute some of that to the staff. Um, so I, I'm trying to pay them as much as I can to also save those opportunities to redistribute later when I know that we've made enough money to do that. Eric, that was born, you know, that idea was born out of your years in kitchens whatnot, right? Of, of seeing inequity in, in pay. Yeah, it absolutely has been. I, uh, I've been in kitchens since I was like 11 years old. 
Um, so I've seen I've seen all the in, uh, inequities and here in New York. And I, I start to understand a lot of it now that I'm on the other side. But I remember working for a couple of business owners where I was just like constantly flabbergasted at their decision making process. And they're just like complete um, lack of regard for their staff. Uh, anytime they were trying to keep money from them, not pay them for things, even the whole idea of like trails, um, unpaid trails in New York, I think is a really weird and antiquated system. But I worked for some people that just like, they weren't paying their employees enough. They weren't paying them on time. Um, they were trying to short them on like sick days. And I was always, even as like a, the manager of the kitchen or even just a coworker, I was always standing up for like workers' rights and telling the owners like, no, you have to get, you have to pay them for this. This That's illegal. You can't do this. And so I set out on my own to start my own business, hopefully to be able to uh, change change the the narrative on that. Um, and once I started, I got to see how uh, very quickly why some of those decisions are made and like why they're so flippant because it, just the amount of bills and utilities uh, on the other side of just rent and labor are insane. So. I was like, okay, I understand why it doesn't make it right, but I saw like what the decision making process for the employees employers were for this. Right. But I also I'm not interested in in that kind of model where I have to uh, circumvent the employees' wellness. You can't you can't do it without your staff. That is definitely true. This episode is brought to you by Tending to You. Tending to You provides mobile bartenders and waitstaff for private events in Louisiana and the greater Houston area. Their dedicated and capable team specializes in traditional sit-down dinner gatherings, past appetizer service, buffet-style meals, and bartending refreshing customized cocktails and beverages. They provide all their own tools needed for a pop-up bar, including drinkware, garnishes, napkins, and more to be set up for success. They also come equipped with trays, gloves, and cleaning products, which allows Tending to You to provide a superior level of service. Learn more at tendingtoyou.com. That's tending, the number two, and the letter u.com. Eric, and part of our you know, part of our chat today is about collaboration. I don't think we've got into yet um, your work with Lonnie. And, and her business and how you guys are sort of intertwined in the beginning. And and I know obviously you still uh, retail her goods, but can you tell us a little bit about how you guys met and, and how that sort of, you know, worked out well for both of you in the very beginning? Uh, yeah, me and Lonnie met um, at a culinary incubator, the now defunct uh, Pilot Works, Brooklyn Food Works. And she verbally attacked me and accosted me, is how I remember it. Just knowing um, Lonnie, I love that. I love this. Yeah, I was minding my own business in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> she was new in the kitchen, but I was always there. And she she knew that I knew my way around, but she came up and accosted me, thinking that my stuff was in front of her stuff and she needed me to move it. She knew it, she knew it wasn't mine. I think she just wanted to talk to me. Uh, but... After that, uh, I was like, okay, I, I clocked her. And uh, <laughs> then she was sitting out in the little waiting room um, or like the little like lobby for the space. 
And I went and sat down on the couch next to her and said something sassy to her. And then I ended up sitting there for like two hours just talking to her. And we were just like having a very intimate conversation about our past and things that you would never tell somebody you just met. (laughs) But uh, we've become kind of inseparable uh, since then. Um, Along with our friend Woldy, who runs uh, Woldy Cucina, the three of us have always been in cahoots together. Um, And... At the Awkward Scone, I had more a bigger kitchen, and so Lonnie was working out of that space after Pilotworks shut down, um, and that's that should be its own episode, that whole mess. Uh, yeah. But Woldy didn't have any place to work, and he came to work out of my kitchen as well, so the three of us were always together. Um, we did a pop-up last summer at Dame. Um, I'm selling Woldy, uh, Lonnie's stuff there. She started out by producing at... Ursula when we first opened, but it was really tight and she wanted a completely gluten-free space um, as her goal. So it was it was inevitable that she was going to leave me and get her own space, but um, we still sell her her stuff there. And Waldy's actually doing a pop-up with us on Monday. I saw that. I'm starting as a series of pop-ups, right? Yep. We're, I'm doing a queer community takeout pop-up series. Uh, and right now I think we have six different chefs lined up um over the next two months to come take over my space uh and sell their food that's amazing tell, tell us a little bit about how that um about how that benefits everybody and you know aside from um giving someone else a platform do you feel like it brings in new customers to ursula is it good for revenue tell us how the some of the you know concrete financial dynamics of doing these collabs? Well, I'm not going to lie. It really only benefits me because then I don't have to leave my kitchen to eat. <laughs> I All of these chefs that I have lined up right now, all, I've either had their food or I've been wanting to have their food for a long time. And I'm always at work. So it's really about just bringing the food to me. Was that always part of like the business plan? And how has it helped like spread the word you know, is, is it for fun? Is this like also there's like a good marketing and cross sell? Tell us a little bit about how that all works. I mean, the, the marketing part of it is definitely like a, a positive uh, byproduct of it. But no, this is the idea of community um, and working with and for your community has always, always been a pillar of my business plan. At the Awkward Scone, I used to use uh, the walls to showcase art from local artists in the neighborhood. And we would have uh, an art opening for those artists because my brother was an artist and I saw how hard it was for him to get the attention of gallerists or curators or any of this. If you're not in the elite, they don't want to pay attention to you. And there are incredible artists out there that don't have the means or the network to showcase their art. And so this was my, that's what I had to offer there was a lot of wall space. Um, And I gave them the chance to like have their little opening, have their friends. We would provide the food. It was no cost to them. And in turn, I got to have the arts, the walls beautifully decorated and we would rotate it. And we would have meetings for like Queer Soup Night and Jari and other queer organizations there. I've made it a a pillar to always give back financially uh, either through contributions or food or even just my labor and time to queer organizations. Um, so this is really just a continuation of that. Um, and also returning the favor. This The pop-ups that I did at Hunky were what kept me alive. They're what um, 
started the fire for Ursula. Uh, and I wouldn't be here without those opportunities myself. And all of these people that are lined up right now have either lost their business or had to reconfigure or restructure what they're doing with their lives and their business. And for me, community, again, like I said, I have this space at Ursula because of somebody else helping me out. And it's important um, for us to continue that kind of sharing of resources. And if I have the kitchen space, if I have the resources And right now people are paying attention to Ursula and I'm very fortunate that there's a lot of eyes on us. So rather than like hoarding all of that attention for myself, this is an opportunity for me to give space and to these other voices who may not get the attention of all the different food media press. And so it's like, hey, well, if you're watching me, then watch this. Uh, So... I care about these people. I care about my community and seeing it through all of this. We lost a ton of queer restaurants and bars and spaces, and I want to make sure to save space for us. Uh, they've supported me, and I want to continue supporting them. That, that makes sense. And I mean, I think that is exactly what the definition of community is is all about. So you're, you're up and running, and... Um, Obviously, the reception's been good. So any plans to scale? I have been thinking about that. Um, and every, I take every, every day individually because every time that I start thinking about the next day, then I just get slapped in the face with a, a flooded basement. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, haven't, yeah. I haven't had enough time to like give it enough thought. And on September 30th last year, I was hoping for the best and I was hoping that we were going to be busy, but I also was kind of planning for a slow and organic build. Um, But it was just busy right out the gate and it's been busy. Um, And I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, But I haven't had enough headspace to consider the next, the next stage. But I do actually, I do think that if it's not a bigger Ursula or a spinoff just doing burritos, um, because people really are hankering for those. Our lunch business and our like Sopapia business, we have been selling so many fried chicken sandwiches uh, lately, but that's starting to take off, which makes me happy that I'm not just forever going to be known as the burrito guy. The burrito guy. <laughs> and was that, was the burrito thing, was that expected or was that just like totally out of like left field? You're like, oh my God, people are bananas for my burritos. I, I mean, I'm bananas for New Mexican style breakfast burritos. I had... I've been here for 10 years, and when I got here, I think I had one burrito somewhere, and I never had one again. Um, And to me, that's a testament of, like, the lack of great burritos here now. I think that within the last couple of years, there's been more people doing uh, good burrito making. Oxalis had a really amazing breakfast burrito. Um, I know Nico was on here recently, too. He was, yeah. Uh, His breakfast burrito was the only other one that I would eat. But uh, no, I've been, it was wild to me. I've been a pastry chef in New York for 10 years and I've worked uh, all over the country, all over the world doing that. Um, I've worked with some amazing chefs and it took me rolling a tortilla around hash browns <laughs> to like get some attention. I love it. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't expect it to hit it off, but I guess that just, like I said, it speaks to where the voids are in our, in our, our food here. I think I mean, it's, also I think sometimes it speaks to to you know you know doing what you truly know and love really well you know I, th- I think having that you know personal passion for 
what you're making, you know, I think it makes a big difference in, in how you do it too. But, um, I agree. And it, it's easier for people to like have a, a story to associate with you or say to even put you in a box. Um, right. The Awkward Scone didn't have like a really cohesive narrative. Um, that was an evolution of over like six years, but it also, I brought a business partner into the fold uh, shortly before opening and that kind of diluted what I had like dreamt of for that space. And so then it, it didn't, it was a great space. It was great food. There was a great community and energy there, but it wasn't like anything that you could like put your finger on and people like to be able to do that here. And so the moment that I like packaged up Ursula and even the moment I got the logo, I was like, Oh, this is it. I, the logo was made for me by one of the artists. Her name's Simi. Um, and she used to have her artwork in the awkward scone. Um, and when I said that I was going to open up Ursula, she wanted to do the logo and she just like knocked it out of the park on the first round. Like seriously knocked it out of the park though. Cause you like, you walk up to the cafe and that's like, basically, I mean, it, you like walk up to your cafe and like, you just automatically, you look at the logo and you have like, you have uh new Mexico vibes, you know, I think it's, yeah, it is a great Props logo. On that. Yeah. yeah. If, if anyone's looking for logo design, uh, brand design, or she does some really incredible, like mixed medium paper mache art. Her name's uh Simi Matani. She's amazing. She have a business name. Uh, well, her Instagram is Simi S I M I automatic. Simi automatic. Cool. I will be giving her a follow momentarily. Yeah. Um, we're going to go on to a lightning round, Eric, of um, hopefully quick quick answer questions. Um, Are you telling me to keep it concise? No, they're just meant to be like one word. We, we, we like to, we like to. Most of them are meant to be that way. Some of them obviously you cannot hit with one word. Yeah. So, you know, Jenny, you want to start? Sure. All right. So this, we have a good friend from New Mexico and he always yells at us. So I think I know the answer, but chili with an I or chili with an E? With an E. (laughs) This is, it's like, it's funny, but it's also, can I... Can I elaborate on this for a second? Yes, you know, it's go not ahead. Tell us, tell <laughs> There's us actually like a congressional uh, writing where they changed the spelling of Chile in New Mexico um, to to include an E and not an I. Chile with an I is usually associated with like Tex-Mex chili and more of a prepared thing. It's um, right? Right. And it's not even like Chili's, it's Chile. Like it's, it's already pluralized. <laughs> but it's actually, been, it's been this... It's New Mexicans get real upset about this. And they anytime get I, real upset about it. I, I, yeah, for sure. So. Anytime I have an article come out and they do that, I get so many DMs about it. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> I know. You're I like know. The, the New Mexicans are up in arms. They are like, get it Did right. You tell them All right. It was with an e? Okay, green or red? <laughs> green or red chilies with an E. It was actually one of the articles that came out. I was I was a little disappointed in actually because I the writer, I spoke to them about this and they called the fact check with me. And I said, just make sure you spell it with an E. That's a it's, a, it's a cultural thing. And that's the way that we do it here. And people are going to be really upset. And they got, they didn't listen to me. I guess the people above the writer wanted to use their style and whatever they do grammatically. And they got a bunch of emails about it. And I was like, well, listen, I told you about it, but this is like a form of cultural erasure by you saying, well, this is how we do it here. I don't care what you do out there. Um, and I was like, no, that's, that's saying that what that our culture is not uh, important enough to regard or respect. Um, but yeah, it's chili with an E. 
Shelly with an A. Eric, is it green or red for preference? Uh, it depends on what I'm eating. Um, usually green. Does, does one lean toward seafood more or how, do, how does it work? What do you mean when versus what you're eating? Is one more acidic? Is it one more spice to it? Red, well, it also depends on where you're getting it from. Um, green has a much fresher flavor. Red is a little richer and sweeter. Um, if I'm eating enchiladas, then it has to be with red. If I'm eating a burrito, I like it with greens. If that makes, if that helps differentiate. Yeah. Which brings us to our next one, which is your most ordered burrito on the menu. The chorizo burrito. It's the chorizo. pork and red chili. And then what about your favorite menu, uh, burrito on the menu? I, I just told you that I eat green when I eat burritos, <laughs> but that one's actually my favorite. Uh, no, actually what I would do is a bean and cheese burrito with green chili. That's what I would, that's what I would want to eat. Is that on the menu? If you want it to be, like you can order it that way. <laughs> you you didn't just add, no, you can just add cheese. No, no, you can add cheese to whatever you want. <laughs> so you just get the bean burrito and add cheese. Got it. Got it. Now I know the order next time we're there. Uh, biggest hurdle to starting Ursula? Um, I get, I, to be honest, I feel like it would just be confidence for me. Um, my confidence in starting a new business in the middle of a pandemic. I was lucky enough to have a lot of support from my family um, physically and, and my community to get it off the ground. Like, see me doing the logo. No effects did my first round of photography um, for free. Uh, Lonnie was helping me there all the time and my brother and sister and nephew. Um, so what was keeping me back or holding me back the most was just the confidence. I mean, I think that's the amazing thing about having community is they also can boost confidence with that vote of that vote of support. Absolutely. Tell us the, um, what was the best part of starting Ursula? Um, the excitement. Um, I think, a few things. One, I was able, my, a lot of my staff was like, they were looking for jobs. They really needed jobs. And to be able to open up an opportunity for nine people to be employed in the middle of a pandemic felt really good. Yeah. For sure. Um, and yeah, just seeing a line out there, it's stressful in the, in the, in the uh, moment, but it's exciting to see people get this excited about New Mexican food. I never, if you had asked me at any point in my life what I would be doing right now, I never would have imagined that I'd be serving New Mexican food in Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congrats. It's working. Um, Give us the best piece of business advice for other prospective owners looking to uh, start their restaurant. Um, Take care of your staff. I think that that's a big one. Um, Never, never neglect your staff. Uh, and, and be one with your community there. Don't, don't shun your community. I think, especially since that was the, the premise of this podcast, like they're what helped help Ursula come to fruition. And I would, I would never be able to do it without my community again. Perfect. Um, we like to shout out any, speaking of community, we like to shout out any um, openings or reopenings. Um, we call it our opening soon announcements. Do you have anybody you want to? Oh, I should have thought about this. I do want to shout out the Sunday pant from Tillit because oh. that front pocket, <laughs> I forget this until I put them on every single time I wear but them. That was a restaurant. I, I know. No. <laughs> I like the name. 
I every time I put them on and I remember that that front pocket is there, I'm just <laughs> so so overjoyed by it. I hate having things in my side pockets, and I I commend you on that style design. Well played. Um, and I I don't I'm not keen on too many other openings right now, but I think that there's some recent openings that are really exciting for me, um, for all things good in, in Brooklyn. Um, they're doing really amazing food. The chefs that are coming to the queer pop-up series, Jessica and Trina Twin from Dacha, they're doing really amazing modern Eastern European cuisine. Uh, Woldy Cucina. We have um, Tony Ortiz, uh, Chile con Miel on Instagram, he's going to be doing some traditional Mexican cooking. Zacharias Gonzalez uh, is going to be more pastry focused with some Cuban and Latin inspiration. He does this amazing carrot flan that's sweetened with the carrot juice. I had it a month ago or, or so, and I've just I've been dying to have it again. Um, I think Kia Damon and Tiff Bryant, one of my staff members, are going to be in the lineup, and then uh, my one of my cooks. Henry Gonzalez is going to be doing Peruvian food too. So I'm going to, I'm going to one up opening soon. Um, the queer pop-up series. I love it. Yes. Um, where can people follow along to see the queer pop-ups, like get all the information on the queer pop-up series at each of those individual chefs, um, pages, but also at Ursula underscore Brooklyn, there'll be updates, uh, for every piece of the series coming along. Amazing. And then I'm at, at Eric the Awkward Scone. Perfect. Well, you just wrapped it up for us. Usually we do like a little spiel and say, where, where can people find you? But now people know. <laughs> Listen, I've listened to your podcast before. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm thrown off. I normally do the wrap up. <laughs> uh, if you want to find us, you know where to find Eric. And we're very excited to uh, find all these other um Food people that will be doing pop ups at your queer pop up series, and you can find us at, at We Are Opening Soon and at Till NYC. Catch you next time. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.